Cairo, Seattle. Ben Malcolmson is the special assistant to the head football coach of the Seattle Seahawks, the special assistant to Pete Carroll, and has been so for the last 13 years, and the title fits just perfectly. It's special because there is in no way, shape, or form a reason why he has this job. He's an assistant, not as a coach, but just assisting telling Pete Carroll's story. Because after all, that's what Ben Malcolmson was. He was a reporter at USC for three years, documenting one of the great runs in all of college football. And on a whim, he thought for his final story with the newspaper, I'd write about what it's like to try out as a walk-on for the USC football team. And he did just that in the spring going into his final year of college. And that tryout turned into an invite by Pete Carroll, not to write the story, but to ultimately become part of that story, to become part of the USC football team. And the tryout reporter turned walk-on wide receiver became the main character in a story he never imagined telling. Ben, how does a kid from Texas find himself at USC? Just fortunate circumstances put it together where I was a junior in high school and got a letter from USC uh, talking about this program where you can kind of skip your senior year of, of high school and go to college year early. And I applied just on a whim. I didn't think I was going to get in. They only took 25, 30 kids. And two months later, I found out I got in. And so when you have a door that wide open, you can't pass it up. And I had never been to California before, so all I had seen in California was on TV and movies, and it looked pretty glorious, and how could I pass up California? And I took the leap of faith, went out there as a 17-year-old, and the rest is history. Grew up in the Bible Belt. You grew up your whole upbringing in the state of Texas? I did, yeah. yeah. What was home life like? Um, I grew up going to church every Sunday. Um, That was kind of part of experience of growing up in the Bible Belt. I mean, pretty much everyone. I had one friend in high school that didn't go to church. Um, and everyone went to church. It was just part of life growing up. I didn't know anything different, but church to me was very academic. Um, it was like learning about God and learning all the answers to the questions in Sunday school, even from a young age, all the way up through high school. Um, it was a very just kind of academic knowledge of God. Um, it was, it was very religious, you know, it was, it was doing all the good things, trying to be a good person, but there was no relationship in it at all. Faith for me at that time was one hour a week on Sunday morning. That's it. When I left church, I was done with, with the Christianity thing. And I didn't live a bad life by any means, but it wasn't a real vibrant relationship by any means. It's interesting, Ben. I think that's the one commonality through these two seasons of this podcast. The number of times through so many different guys and gals stories of relationship versus religion. That's, Did you know that through high school? Well, I can look back in see the people that had relationship with Jesus. And it, I didn't notice it in the moment, but those were the people that were so attractive to me, that were so magnetic. I wanted to be around people like that. Like I remember one of my youth leaders in, in the church, looking back, it's like, man, he, he got it. You know, He had a relationship with Jesus, and that's what I wanted. I just didn't know it at the time. All I knew at the time was church was one hour a week. You tried to know all the answers that you could and and try to be a good person the other six days of the week. Any family influence on either side of that? Yeah, well, I was, I was fortunate that my family took us to church, you know, and, and I was so fortunate that I, I had those seeds planted in me through church and all that. Um, my parents both, that was part of life. You know, you go to church every Sunday, and there's no excuse for not going to church. So um, I was fortunate that I had that growing up. 
But a lot of head knowledge, and then ultimately this program at USC. Yeah, well, I think my head knowledge got me into the program by by some form or fashion, but it was God's providence when I get to USC, day two being there. It was before class even started. I'm walking to the cafeteria with a buddy of mine from the dorm, and uh, he had figured out I was a Christian because I had a Bible on my bookshelf. I was a good Christian, you know, every, every good Christian has a Bible. So <laughs> I, uh, he saw that I had a Bible and he's like, are you a Christian? And I was like, yeah. Um, he's like, okay, cool. I am too. And we're walking to the cafeteria that day and we see a, a poster for the Christian fraternity on campus. And he's like, Hey, let's go check that out. And if it wasn't for Mark, my friend right there saying, Hey, let's go check it out. I would have never, I would have never seen the poster. I would have never gone check this fraternity out, but I show up at this Christian fraternity and there's 40 guys there that are vibrantly related to Jesus. You know, they have a, a deep friendship with Jesus and all looking back what we were just talking about with the attractive magnetic quality that someone with a relationship with Jesus has, there were 40 guys that had that. And I just knew instantly I need to be a part of this, whatever these guys have, I want. Cause it was more than just one hour a week on Sunday morning for these guys. It was every day, all day. And, uh, I wanted, I wanted that. And at that age, you, you skip your senior year. Are you 17? I, was, I had just turned 17. I was a young, young for my grade anyway, and I just turned 17. So I'm a, I'm a baby, you know, I'm a kid out there. And I looked like I was 12, you know, I was, I still look like I'm 17 in a lot of ways. So I, um, I, I was out of my, out of my league, you know, I was fish out of water in a lot of ways. And, um, I was so fortunate that my buddy Mark says, Hey, let's go check this Christian fraternity out. This is the, uh, above and beyond the intersection of faith and sports. So ultimately, this is going to get to some sports here, right? Because you become just a star at USC, right? I mean, you become, then Pete Carroll sees you at this Christian fraternity. He's there recruiting that Christian fraternity. He wants all the guys on his team there at USC, right? Yeah, he was out at intramural football one day. And um, no, but uh, (laughs) I I ended up stumbling in. I was trying to figure out what I was going to study because, I mean, I'd skipped a year of high school. So I had a one less year of maturation and one less year to, to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And so I'm just trying to figure out what my major is going to be. I'm Spanish, international relations, undecided, undeclared. I mean, I'm just stumbling my way through freshman year. And eventually I figured out, well, I, I really like reading Sports Illustrated. I really love reading the sports section. When I grew up, this was in the olden days of where everyone got the newspaper delivered to their front doorstep. And I grew up every morning with ink on my fingers reading the sports section. It was just like a rite of passage for the day. And I figured, well, I love reading the sports section. I love reading Sports Illustrated. So maybe I should try sports journalism if, if this is something I really I like. And so I apply for the journalism school and I go into the Daily Trojan there at USC, the student newspaper, and I just applied for a job there. And lo and behold, they assigned me to the women's volleyball team right away. I knew nothing about volleyball at all. So I'm on Wikipedia trying to learn the scoring system and the positions and all that. Volleyball is really big on the West Coast and the East Coast, but in the middle of the country, it's it's not the biggest sport. And so um, I did not grow up watching it or playing it. And so I'm learning and I'm out there just trying to figure out how to write a story. And thankfully, I'd read a lot of stories growing up in the sports section and all that and put together my first story, sent it in. And I wake up the next morning, I'm holding the newspaper, the student newspaper there and the sports section. I see my name in print. It's like, wow, this is really cool. This is awesome. And I loved it and kind of lit a fire inside of me that this is something I want to do. And a couple of weeks later, the sports editor calls and says, Hey, the, the football beat is opening up. You're young, but we think you could go for it. Do you want to do it? And before he could even finish asking the question, I'm like, yes, I'm in, let's go. And this was uh USC right at the start of their run. You know, they were, it was just 2000, 2003. And so this was right at the start of uh, Reggie Bush, Matt Leiner. It was right after Carson Palmer won his Heisman. And USC had 
gone to Auburn, shut them out on the road, and they become number one team in the country game two of the year. And it was right. Pete Carroll's this kind of unknown coach who had failed in the NFL, and well, he's he's kind of bringing USC back to life. This is crazy, and and so I'm covering the football team now, and I'm going to every home and away game, my sophomore, my junior, my senior year, and this is incredible. I get to go to two Heisman Trophy ceremonies as my job. You know, <laughs> I'm a college student. This is my job. This is crazy. I get to go to three straight national championship football games. It's my job. You know, I'm just I'm blown away. I get to go to every every home and away game. It was like 39 straight games for wow. to cover the football team there at USC. And I was just a student newspaper reporter. It was incredible. Had you played football? You hadn't played volleyball or had a background with that. <laughs> had you played football through high? Did, every kid in the Bible Belt, right, goes to church on Sunday and has to play high school football in Texas. <laughs> well, every kid that, that is uh, full grown. Um, but as I said, I, was, I looked like I was 12 when I went to college. I was a late bloomer, the epitome of a late bloomer. So when I was in, in high school, I was probably 140 pounds. So for my health, I was I was not going to play football. Um, I played football in fifth grade. My dad kind of signed me up for Pop Warner. And that was back when you, you played every sport as a kid. You know, you try everything and figure out what you like, what you're good at. He signed me up for Pop Warner football in fifth grade. And I was begging him to let me quit like one game into the season. It was miserable because I just didn't like the contact. I was so small. And uh, he wouldn't let me quit. He's like, if you start something, you got to finish it. It was one of those like father advice, wisdom moments, you know, and um, it it drove me crazy in the time. I'm crying on the way home from practice every day. I'm like, please let me quit. Please let me quit. But he just wouldn't let me quit. And then the season ended that fifth grade year and I promptly quit. And uh, I said, okay, I I finished what I started. Can I quit now? He's like, yeah, you did it. You can quit. If you don't want to play football ever again, you don't have to. And I said, I'm not going to play football ever again. So that was the last football experience for me. I played baseball, I played basketball, I played everything. And then when I got to high school, I, I just became a pretty good runner. And so I just devoted all my attention to cross-country and track. And that was my high school experience in sports. You said earlier God's providence took you to USC. God's providence brought you your friend Mark. And God's providence brought you ultimately to the Christian fraternity. Was it God's providence? Did you feel at that time for you to be doing what you were doing in the School of Journalism for the paper and in particular, this football program? Well, looking back, for sure. And in the moment, I think when you have a fire kind of stirring up inside of you, you kind of realize that there's there's something that's happening inside of you, and it's really exciting and invigorating and brings you life. Um, I think I was, I was maybe too young and too immature to really understand, but that was God stirring up inside of me, stirring up these passions inside of me, um, stirring up these gifts that he had placed inside of me. And it makes sense looking back, but in the moment it was, I was just living life and loving it. It was awesome. So ultimately you cover 39 games, uh, three national title games, Heisman's. It, I mean, one of the unbelievable runs in college football during Pete's tenure there at USC. But then you went a little further than just journalists. <laughs> Yeah, so the USC team plays the Texas Longhorns in the Rose Bowl, that epic game that, I mean, every college football fan will never forget that game. Vince Young, all his heroic efforts and everything. And that was January of 2006. And then I'm graduating in, in May of 2006. So I just a few months left of being on the staff there at the student newspaper. And I'd covered that game. And it was kind of a, a brutal way to end my career there for the student newspaper because they had won, I think it was like, 34 straight games leading up to that game. I mean, it was just crazy. Um, and so it was fun and exciting, but then I was kind of a downer, you know. To And so I was looking for my one last good story to close out my time there at the student newspaper and go on and be a journalist at some 
podunk newspaper in Montana or something, you, you know, you got to start somewhere and no offense to Montana, but I was not going to start at sports illustrated, you know? So I, uh, I was looking for kind of my crown jewel, my last good story for the the daily Trojan. And I was just reading the, the student newspaper that day and saw an ad talking about walk-on tryouts were coming up for the football team. And it hit me that who the heck tries out for the number one football team in the country this has got to be a pretty cool story because there's got to be some pretty interesting players that are going out to this kind of open casting call for the football team there at USC. And so I start interviewing some guys that are interested in trying out and I was like, dang, this is gonna be an amazing story. And then it hits me. Well, I'll just complete the loop. I'll just make it an even better story by going through the trial myself and writing about it from a first person perspective, show how hard it is because this is not going to be easy. This is the number one team in the country I mean, even though they had just lost to Texas, they were projected to be number one the next year and, and year and year and year after that. I mean, it was an incredible run that USC was on. And um, I was I was like, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna go through the tryout and it'll be a total joke. I'm a newspaper reporter, 165 pounds, hadn't played football since fifth grade. And I mean, this is going to be hilarious. I could just totally make fun of myself. It'll be great. So I go to Coach Carroll. I was like, hey, Coach, um, I'd, I mean, I'd cover the team. I'd gotten to know him just as a reporter for three years. And I was like, Coach, can I go through the walk-on tryouts to write a story. And he kind of laughed, and he's like, it's not going to be very interesting, but go for it. And the last time he told me that was two years prior. Um, I had went and asked him, I don't know where I got the courage to do this, but I was I was a, a junior, I was, what, 20 years old in, in college, and asked him, hey, can I follow you around for a whole day and do a day in the life of Pete Carroll? And he, he laughed at me at that moment, and I don't know where I got the courage to do this, but he goes, yeah, it's not going to be very interesting, but go for it. And so this was two years before, and I, I followed him around from 7 a.m. till 10 p.m., and it turned into the coolest story because I got to be inside the USC football program, and it was an amazing story. It got a lot of attention at the time, and it was really fun. So then two years later, I go ask him if I can go go through the walk-on tryouts, and he says the same exact line without realizing it, and he says, it's not going to be very interesting. And so I knew at that moment that, okay, this is going to be pretty cool. I'm really excited. Oh, yeah. uh, And it, it, yeah, and so then... I mean, how do you prepare for a walk-on tryout when you hadn't played football in 10 years? And So you got your Christian brothers at the fraternity, right? <laughs> they, they set up like a tree for you to run into and, and hit with your shoulder. And, and then you're like Rocky, got the sweatsuit. They're timing you, running all over campus, right? You get well, yourself in the best shape of your life. Well, I didn't have, I couldn't lose any weight, so I couldn't do the sweatsuit thing. Um, I was 165 pounds, so I was already skin and bones. But I guess I was, I was just like, well, I got nothing to lose, so I'm not trying to like, become great in great shape or anything you know I'm, I'm not going to go spend a bunch of time to prepare for this trial I'm, the the time i'm going to spend on it is interviewing guys that are trying out trying to actually make the team so the time comes for the tryout and we're out there and, and the sign-in sheet they ask for your name and your position that you're you're trying out for i put my name and then i put wide receiver question mark because what i don't know what position i am <laughs> you know in in fifth grade pop warner football i was a defensive lineman I was definitely not a defensive lineman as a 21-year-old college student. You go through a 40-yard dash. I mean, I'd never run a 40-yard dash in my life. And it's like, how do you, what do you do? You know, like what's what's the stance look like? Do you like pace yourself here? And then as I'm out there on the 40-yard dash, the, the coaches realize that I'm the newspaper reporter. And I start hearing Ken Norton Jr. barking, just yelling it out. There's the newspaper boy. The newspaper boy is here. And I'm just so embarrassed. I'm flush red. And I'm trying to like be undercover here, you know, just the, the student newspaper reporter like embedded in the walk-on tryouts, but then my cover's blown and Ken Norton Jr.'s yelling at me, Brennan Carroll's yelling at me and Pete Carroll's, I mean, he's laughing along, but he, at least he knew that I was there and 
I mean, Sark is one of the assistant coaches, and he's barking at me. Lane Kiffin's one of the assistant coaches. He's barking at me. So I'm, I'm just so embarrassed. And I run a 40-yard dash, and they're like, oh, it's pretty good for a newspaper boy. Good job. And they're like, you get you got one more chance. So I go run another one, and I don't know what I'm doing at all. And then they go through agility drills. I'm doing cone cone drills, like things I've never done before. And things that you watch on NFL Network during the combine, but like you don't know how to run those things, you know? And so here I am going through all this, and then they split you off into your position. I'm running routes, wide receiver, and they say, okay, run a slant. It's like, okay, I've played Madden before, but what's a slant, you know? <laughs> like, I mean, I call a slant in Madden like the audible, but I don't know what it actually looks like, how many steps it is. And I would just put myself at the back of the line always just so I could watch what, what the guys were doing. And um, I just I just had a blast. It was so fun. I got to go through the, the tryout for the number one football team in the country, and I go home that night. I was pretty beat up, pretty sore, and I mean, my body had never gone through something like that before. And start writing my story. This was going to be the best story. I mean, I, I I got to try out for the number one team in the country. This was so cool. Pete Carroll's there. I mean, all these incredible assistant coaches are there and it was so cool. And more exhilarating. You going through that workout or you writing that story? Oh man, that's a great question. I've never thought about that. Um, I think in, in my mindset at the time, um, trying to put that story together was so exciting because I'm bringing people. And I mean, the Daily Trojan is not the biggest publication in the world, but I'm bringing the, the couple thousand students that read it, I'm bringing them inside something that no one else has ever experienced. And so it was so fun. It's like, where do you start? How do you grab people's attention? I mean, it was just so fun. And as a journalist, um, someone who's so passionate about it, it was it was just fun to put that together. So in a lot of ways, that was more exhilarating for me is to put that story together and I'm working on it. And it was it was such a, a treat for me. And the, this was going to be, this was the perfect way to close out my, my student newspaper career there at USC. And Two days after the tryout, I, I was almost done with the story at that point. I was going to turn it in that day, and it was going to come out the following week. And I get a phone call early in the morning from a friend of mine saying, did you try out for the football team? And I hadn't told anyone. You know, I wanted to be totally undercover. I just I didn't want anyone to know because, I mean, first of all, it's kind of embarrassing that a, a skinny little newspaper reporter is trying out for the football team. And second of all, I wanted the story to kind of stand for, its, for, for itself and just kind of be out there and, and kind of surprise people. And and I was like, oh, crap, did someone tell her, you know? And she's like, well, I see your name on the list. You made the team. And I was like, what? There's no way. It never even crossed my mind that I could make the team because everything was stacked against me. There was just no possibility at all. Um, it's the number one team in the country. I was a skinny newspaper reporter. I was going through the tryout solely to write an article. There was never even a dream that crossed my mind or my heart that, oh, what if I make the team? Because it's just not possible. There's zero possibility that this is possible. This this can happen. And so when she says that, I just hung up the phone right away and my heart dropped. And I, I immediately thought that Coach Carroll's pulling a prank on me because he is so renowned for pulling pranks. And it hit me just right away. Oh man, Coach Carroll is, is pulling a prank on the newspaper reporter. This is like prime fodder for him. You know, this is just, this is, I'm, I'm just like a ripe target for him. And so... I'm pedaling my bike over there with a mix of excitement and anticipation, but also like dreading him pulling the rug out from under me. And I get to the football building and I walk by the list and there's my name on the list. And I was like, okay, this is, this can't be real. There's no way. It's just not possible. And I walk, I mean, it's like if someone walked in right now and said, here, Brock, here's a million dollars. You'd be like, what? Like, this is just not possible. Like what is going on? There's a trick here or something, you know? How many guys tried out and then how many made it? There were, I think there were 42 guys that tried out, and then I think there were nine guys on the list that made the team that day. So, um, 
And so I'm walking up to the, the office there and there's Coach Carroll just standing in, right in the front of the office, which is like, Coach just never stands in the front of the office. I'm like, okay, this is definitely a prank. Here comes like candid camera and I mean, Will Farrell's going to be involved or something like that. And I was like, Coach, prank's over. Like, just shoot straight with me here. And he's like, no, 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 you can catch the ball. You can run fast. We want you on the team. And I was like, what the heck? There's no way. He's like, well, are you in? I was like, yeah, I'm in. Let's go. <laughs> and so he's like, go get your playbook. So I walk around the corner. There's Lane Kiffin, the, the wide receivers coach, hands me a playbook. He says, hey, this isn't about getting free rings and free T-shirts. You got to work hard. And I was like, yes, sir, whatever you say. <laughs> and so I get this playbook, and it is like it's a two-inch binder at the time. They don't have iPads back then. And I'm just thumbing through it. It's like another language. I mean, it's when but you – But, Ben, you've covered this team for four years. Yeah, but a playbook is so different. I mean, you know rock. I mean, a, a playbook is just so different. It's literally another language. And when you don't grow up learning football and, and immersed in football and in the playbook and all that, you have no idea what's going on. I mean, just the the words, the letters, the numbers, all that stuff. Do you think you'd have made that team had they not had any background with you over the three or four years? I don't know. I, it's funny. I asked Coach it, pretty recently, actually, maybe last year, so – 11 years after the fact I was like coach why did you put me on the team you know and he's like well I mean you you were you're a good athlete and you you were one of the best ones out there that day and we needed some bodies and also it was just a cool story and I think that is a reflection of coach I mean we've seen that over the years with with the Seahawks um he he's kind of he gravitates towards these unique individuals and these unique stories I mean this the Seahawks over the years would just collection of of characters you know and then that that's what makes coach so great and just so special so now does the story turn i mean do you still print the story of a a day in the life of a tryout or does the story now turn to oh my gosh i made the team and now i get to chronicle all of this yeah well it turned into two stories so I, i published the original story of this is the tryout experience and then the very last line was turn it turn back tomorrow to to see the the completion of this story kind of a cliffhanger and uh, I wrote another story about my experience of actually making the team and, and that whole day of getting the playbook, getting my pads and my helmet, not knowing how to put pads on. I mean, all these things of, that are just old hat for a football player that someone had grown up playing high school football. Uh, this was so, so different to me. So that, that the second story was really cool and really exciting. And, and that's when it really turned into to something bigger than, than just me. I mean, the fifth grader, the one to quit every day. It's one thing in fifth grade with the speed of it and the talent level and whatever your your small town in Texas was. Quite another now with the number one team in the country. And Lane Kiffin and Sarkeesian and Ken Norton and Pete Carroll and all of this. And coming off one of the most brutal losses in all of college football history to Vince Young in Texas and, and to come back. So this is not just like a neat story. Now you're taking part in, taking part in spring ball. Or the top team in the country. That was cool. I got snapped into reality pretty quick. Um, my first practice, I get a, a helmet right to my chin from Taylor Mays, one of our, our freshman safeties at the time, just popped my chin and the chin strap breaks. And so I'm just like, what? I'm laying there on the ground facing the dirt, just like, what do I do now? And my head's ringing. And I mean, I'd never experienced this before, but I get up, I survived, I was good. Uh, I could go on to the next play. And so, I mean, I, I was definitely brought back down to earth. It wasn't just a cool story anymore. It was real life. And because I was a journalist, all the, the 
beat writers that covered the team. They started asking questions and, and printing stories and all that. And it was in Sports Illustrated the, the following week. And Coach promptly put me on a gag order. And so it didn't, it wasn't a, a big media thing anymore. It was, it was, you're part of the team now. You're one of the hundred guys on the team. And this isn't just a cute little story anymore. So you go through spring ball. Spring ball kind of ended in a heartbreaking way. I, I was one of our last practices of spring. I was out blocking a cornerback on a play and my hand got caught in his pad and we got twisted up and dislocated my shoulder and uh, get rushed to the, the hospital there on campus. And the team doctors say, you need to get surgery right away. Just reconstructive surgery and you're going to be off for nine months. And so I was like, what the heck? And I thought that uh, this was real. I started to take ownership of this and started to believe that this was real life. And nine months from that point in April was after the season was over and I only had that one year to play. So it was crushing um, because I really believed that this was my new life. For some reason, I just devoted myself to rehab and um, had a lot of people praying for me. And I got back in four and a half months. So half the time the doctor said, they're there clearing me in early September. They're saying, we've never done this before. We've never seen this before, but you're, you can go back to playing football. And so half the time the doctors originally said I could get back after that surgery, I was back on the football team. It was just divine miracle. It was crazy. And you come in as the starting flanker. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we had, I think that team had 54 guys that ended up playing in the NFL. And so um, I was I was not one of them. And so it was literally, I mean, an NFL roster was 53 guys on it. I mean, there was an NFL team at USC at the time. It what was number were you? I was 24. Number 24 comes back on the practice field. <laughs> Ken Norton yelling at you, the paper boy, thought we were done with you, the dislocated shoulder, the paper boy, the newsboys back out. Running scout team? Yeah, I was out running the scout team, wearing the black jersey uh, every day during the week. And then Coach Carroll's just an amazing coach um, and just so inclusive. So a lot of teams on game days, uh, they only suit up the top 60, 70 guys for a college team. And um, a lot of teams do it in college now, but um, Coach suited up every player. And so it was cool. So I'm there, first home game of the year, I'm suited up. I'm running out of the tunnel. Um, it's just crazy. You know, I'm like, what the heck? This is beyond anything I could have dreamed of. So you have had now multiple moments. You're 21 years of age at this point, but you've had multiple moments now in your life of just, I mean, looking at it now, landmark, like a landmark watershed, man, Lord, what are you doing with my life? Are you feeling that providence now? A hundred percent. When I saw my name on the list after getting the confirmation that, that I was actually on the team. I went back down and I saw the list again. I was like, wow, this is, this is real. And I had this deep sense almost immediately that God had me there for a purpose. And it was, it wasn't the audible voice of God by any means. It's not like he opened up the clouds and, and spoke to me. It was just this deep sense in my soul that he had me there for a reason and a, just a, an incredible purpose. And so I was so excited to see what that was and, and started to press into that almost from, from right away from the moment I made the team. In those four years, did you feel your religion turn into relationship? Yeah, almost uh, the, that first semester of freshman year when I'm involved in this Christian fraternity, I'm around 40 guys who have surrendered their life to Jesus and have given their, their lives over to him. And um, I just, I soaked it up. I couldn't get enough. And I, I did the same. And it turned into a relationship. It turned into a friendship with Jesus and it turned into every day abundant life that he's offering and just the the freedom that he's offering the relationship the joy and it turned from religion to relationship and now you have 54 future nfl players and 100 guys on a team was there faith in relationship with others on that team or did you feel like and i'm called for a pretty special season here 
Yeah, I definitely felt called that God had me there for a reason and, and a, an incredible purpose. And you connect with certain believers on the team. Rocky Seto was one of one of the coaches at the time there, and I, I mean, he's so bold and so out there with his face. So I just immediately was like, "Oh man, I've, I've got another believer on the team. This is great." And there's a handful of other guys on the team that connected with. But in a lot of ways, it felt like a pretty dark place, and it felt like uh, it was kind of on an island in a lot of ways, and it was uh, it was really challenging. And then ultimately, though, man, there is something pretty powerful that happens that season. Yeah, well, I, just seeking my purpose out, I went and I started a Bible study for the team, and I told all my teammates, got a flyer and pass it out to all my all my teammates, got a room ready, got a lesson ready, and I was fired up because this was my purpose, being on the team. And time comes for our first Bible study, and no one showed up. I'm the only guy. There's a hundred guys on the team, and you'd think at least a couple would show up. No one did, and so I was obviously discouraged and questioning. Okay, God, what's my purpose? I missed that one, and I got an idea. We'll start a prayer group for the team. The day before every game, we'll pray together. So, told all my teammates, got a flyer, pass it out, got a room ready. Time comes for our first prayer meeting, and no one showed up. So I'm sitting there alone, doubting again, questioning, discouraged. God, what's my purpose here? And he led me to a passage in Matthew 5. It says, let your light shine before men. And it hit me so deep that I was trying to do all these things and, and create all these things. But first and foremost, my purpose was to be a light. And lights just shine. They don't need to go create events. They don't need to go do things. They just need to shine. And so I just need to be a really good friend. I just need to be a good teammate and just love my teammates um, the way that he wanted me to. And I was excited because I figured that would lead to really deep, rich conversations. Um, but as you know, Brock, and as I'm sure a lot of people listening know, being a college athlete is, is not easy and uh, there's no time really. And so you wake up early, you have weights and you go to class and you have meetings and you have practice and you have class at night. Sometimes you have to do homework and then you go to bed and you get a couple hours of sleep and you wake up and do it all over again the next day. So there was no time to just hang out and become really deep friends with, with these guys. And I had such a short time frame. I only had that one season and it was, it was hard. I'm, I'm sitting there again about a month into trying to be a light and I'm seeing no fruit. I'm seeing no results. And I'm again, discouraged and questioning God, what is my purpose here? I thought you had me here for a purpose. And at this point, we're almost towards the end of the season. We get chosen to play in the Rose Bowl on New Year's Day. And a couple of weeks before the Rose Bowl, I was reading in Isaiah 55. It says, if his word goes out, it does not return empty. And it hit me that, I mean, God is always faithful to his promise. He's, he's, he never lies. He's always faithful to his promises. And if this is a promise of God, I'm going to put it out there. And I can't wait to see him fulfill it because I'm going to put his word out there. I'm going to get Bibles and put them out there and they're not going to return empty. And so I got a hundred Bibles for the team, uh, placed them in every guy's locker at midnight on Christmas Eve. I didn't want anyone, anyone to know that it was me. I wanted to be totally anonymous, placed one in every locker. And I couldn't wait to get there on the 26th of December. We had Christmas day off and I couldn't wait to get there because I had finally found the, the fruition of my purpose. Like God had brought me through all these failures, but it was to lead me to this point of this was, this is why he had me there. Bible study didn't work. The prayer group didn't work. The relationship and being a light, you know, is building into them. But here we go. Third time is going to be the charm. Yeah. Right. The Bibles are going to, it's, it's going to meet its need. God's going it. to fulfill that promise. This is it. And I, this is my last week of being on the team. The Rose Bowl was five days away at this point. And I mean, I, this was it. This was my last chance. And God had brought me through all these failures, but it was for this moment. I'm pull, pulling the door to the locker room. Can't wait to just see what's happening inside. Just thinking revival is going to be breaking out. Just like, gold light emanating from the locker room. I was so excited. 
I pulled the door to the locker room and there's just shredded pages of Bibles all over the floor. I was absolutely destroyed because I poured my heart and soul into this. I poured my heart and soul into finding my purpose on this team. And not only did I fail once again, but I failed miserably and it was just shoved back my faith, my, my face. And the, I mean, the carpet, you could barely even see the carpet. All it was was just shredded pages of Bibles everywhere. So I trudged my way back to the back corner of the locker room to my locker. And I was just like, I just, God, I, I missed my purpose. I missed the reason you have me here. And I just, I feel horrible. I feel like I'm a total failure. And I go through the rest of that week just trying to enjoy the, the football aspect. I mean, Lowry's Beef Bowl, you go to Disneyland, Rose Bowl Photo Day. I mean, all these things from a football perspective are so fun and exhilarating. But I miss my purpose. I miss the reason God had me on that team. We win the Rose Bowl, which was amazing. And I mean, I grew up watching the Rose Bowl every New Year's afternoon. And here I am kind of sulking in a lot of ways. Like I had missed why God had me on this team. And it was just, it was heartbreaking. A couple of days after the game, I'm at home back in Texas and I get a phone call telling me that, that Mario Danello, our kicker on the team, had passed away in the middle of the night the night before. And I was destroyed, absolutely crushed because Mario was one of my closest friends on the team. He's 21 years old, same age as me. And I was devastated because, I mean, it was to deal with the, the death of a friend at that age, is, you just don't know how to do it. And to deal with grief at that age, it's just how do you do it? And on top of that, um, I feel like there was another failed purpose. I had failed in, in sharing the gospel with him. I mean, sure, I invited him to a Bible study. I, I invited him to a prayer group. I tried to be a good friend to him. I put a Bible in his locker, but all those things had failed. I never saw any fruit to those. And I was just beat up, just struggling, discouraged. A couple of days later, we're at, at his funeral together as a team. And I look up as they carry his casket down the center aisle. And on top of his casket is the Bible that I'd placed in his locker just a week or so earlier. And I didn't know what it meant, but it just felt like God's personal touch for me. And it was so profound for me in that moment to give me comfort. And I just, it was like such a God moment for me that God had, had seen me. He had seen everything I had tried to do to find my purpose that I felt like was a total failure. But he's like, I see you. I saw you all along. And he put that Bible on top of Mario's casket. And so it helped me get through that process, helped me get through that grief and, and find comfort in that time and just move through it and just get healed in that time. And um, I ended up starting to work at USC. Coach Carroll offered me a job to run the media stuff there, the online media. And it, just coach being coach, he's he's so unique and so progressive. And he, he saw kind of the social media stuff coming down the pipe and um, thought, well, let's let's get some, let's hire someone to, to run all this stuff. And so we were just right place at the right time. And for three years there, I worked at USC for him. And it was, it was incredible. So there was one Bible that was not torn up. Yeah, well, that was mine <laughs> and, Mario. and Mario's. Yeah, yeah. Um, and everyone else was. It was definitely yeah. torn up. Yeah. What did you did you learn anything in the aftermath with Mario and in his passing that um, that that had an impact? Was that yeah. Well, so then, coach, I worked for him for three years there at USC, and we developed just an incredible relationship. He actually moved my desk to be literally right outside his office, so that he could walk by me twenty times a day and we could interact and, and do all this social media stuff. And it was just really fun and, and exciting. And through that process, just the relationship that we developed when he took the job with the Seahawks in 2010, he asked me to come up with him and moved up to Seattle, not knowing anyone other than him really. And, uh, I was just desperate to make friends, desperate to find things to do outside of work. And I, I come across a guy who tells me, Hey, there's this group called young life. We're looking for leaders. Do you want to come volunteer? 
and I had never heard of Young Life before, and but whatever it was, I was in because I needed something to do with my time. And I show up at this leader informational meeting, and a former teammate of mine walks in. His name was Taylor. He was our punter on the team, and I'm just like, what the heck? Like running into someone that you hadn't seen in four years in a place a thousand miles from the last place you saw him, and it was just like, what the heck's going on? So we removed ourselves from the meeting and kind of catching up. And he starts telling me, he's like, dude, my life has totally turned around in the last few years. What happened? He's like, do you remember the last week we were on the team together? There were Bibles in all of our lockers. Now, I mean, I hadn't thought about those Bibles really since Mario's funeral because it symbolized discouragement. It symbolized defeat and really symbolized the death of a friend of mine, a teammate of mine. And so I, I just, my initial reaction was just play dumb. And so I was like, yeah, I think I kind of remember those. I don't know. <laughs> and so he's like, well, he starts telling me that he grew up in a Christian home and Grew up his whole life just like me, growing to church. And when he went to college, he he turned and went his own way and lived life on his own terms um, and just kind of lived life the way he wanted to in college and kind of walked away from God in a sense. And so when he saw a Bible in his locker that day, four years into being in college, he's like, who's trying to shove this down my throat? Is this the chaplain? Like, I just, he wasn't interested. And he threw his Bible in the back of his locker that day. And he's going out to practice that morning pushing the door to leave the locker room to go out to the practice field. And he thought he was the last one to leave. And he hears a voice in the back corner of the locker room going, what is this? And he was confused because he, I mean, he thought he was the last one to leave. But then also it's like, what is what? And so he turns around and there's Mario, our kicker, sitting in his locker, thumbing through the Bible going, what is this? And Taylor and Mario were best friends. They were the punter and the kicker. They spent just tons of time together. And they just, they were the class clowns of the team, kind of the mayors of the team. And just so fun, and they just had a unique friendship. And Taylor screams across the locker room, Mario, are you an idiot? Have you never seen a Bible before? And Mario's like, no, what am I supposed to do with this? And so for some reason, Taylor sets his helmet and pads down and walks down, walks across the locker room, sits down next to Mario, and for 45 minutes takes him through the Bible. He says, every word written and read are the words of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Savior of the world, the one who came to die to, to make you right with God, to die for your sins to give you a relationship with God. And he's sharing the gospel with them, and they missed half a practice that day. And I don't know what punishment they had, but <laughs> um, Taylor said for the rest of that week, Mario couldn't put the Bible down. Every bus ride we had, every spare moment between meetings, Mario just soaking it up. He can't get enough. He's asking Taylor questions. He just can't get enough. And Taylor's kind of perplexed, like, this is really weird. Like, I don't even know if I believe this stuff, really. And, like, what's going on here? And but for some reason, God had just poured through Taylor. I mean, all those seeds that were planted in him as a kid, through his parents, through his church, all the people that poured into him as a kid, all those seeds came pouring out years later, and God just starts speaking through him to really impact Mario's life. A few days later, Taylor said that Mario had experienced God. He had encountered God and, and started a relationship with God. And then a few days after that, Mario passes away and goes to heaven. And so Taylor gets the same call I did that Mario had had died his best friend and in the moment he just saw god just come crystal clear focus just god's power his grace his love for mario and in the in that moment just recommitted his life to christ and so he's telling me this story and i'm shaking i'm on the verge of tears i just can't even fathom this and he taylor tells me he's like isn't that the craziest story and i mean i, I haven't been the same since and I'm like, yeah, it's even crazier because I was the one that put the Bibles in the locker and I thought it was a total failure. I mean, that's just crazy. I mean, that's that's our God. That's only our God. Only our God could do something like that to to make all that happen to save Mario's life. 
he loved Mario so much that he wanted to save him before he died and to bring all those pieces together to do all that that's only our God it's only the, the power and the love that he has is just incredible and it's it's hard to fathom. I mean, I get goosebumps just telling the story again, and I've told the story so many times. So. And to take what you thought was failure. And that's that's just the beauty of God, that when it seems like we're failing, when it seems like, oh, man, I'm missing my purpose, I'm missing all these things that he has for me, and, man, what am I doing wrong? God's at work. He's always redeeming. He's always at work, whether we can see the results or not. And, I mean, to think of his grace and his love for me to encourage me four years after the fact. I mean, this was four years after the funeral and to allow me to get a window into this story. I mean, think of all the stories that all of us have that we don't have a window into. And hopefully this story will encourage the people listening right now that a lot of times we're not going to see the results. We're not going to see the fruit of it. And a lot of times it's going to feel like we're failing at trying to find our purpose, but to know and to trust that God truly is at work, whether we can see it or not. And now, Ben, through all these years, you get to tell your story in print. Yeah. Right, to circle back to a 17-year-old who found his passion in print for the school newspaper there at USC, and now your story is on pages, and the book Walk On is out everywhere now, on Amazon and everywhere, and it's shot up the lists and been phenomenal to watch, but now you get to tell this story in print as well. It's almost got to complete the circle, too. It's amazing, especially with my writing background and all that. But really, there's something special about reading a story. Um, and I think that's why the Bible speaks to us so powerfully, is that when you read the words and you read a story, because really the Bible is a collection of stories. And when you read a story, it, it speaks to your heart and it speaks to your soul. And it kind of echoes inside of you for a little while and you kind of, it, it sticks to you, you know. And, and that's been the coolest thing about having this book go out, is that it's reaching people in profound ways that I could have never imagined and it's really it's god's story and i'm just fortunate enough to be the the vessel for it and um i'm just i'm in awe and just god is so good and there's some more stories to write (laughs) hopefully yeah and that's the beautiful thing i mean i've i've been this is our ninth season up here um so this is my 12th season working for coach now and the stories that that we've been able to experience and live out and and whatever's going to happen from here on out um not just football stuff and, and the charity stuff and all that, but really the the deeper spiritual stuff, the stuff that we can't really have eyes for right now. But I just can't wait to see what God has, um, what he's unfolding before our eyes, um, whether we our eyes can see him right now or not. Does Coach Carroll ever come up to you and say, oh, you can do this, but it's probably not going to be very interesting anymore? <laughs> no, I, I always razzle. He's like, oh, man, yeah, he, this this might not be very good. And I was like, Coach, do you remember those days when, when you told me that a few times? But um, I mean, he's, he's definitely, he's the eternal optimist. So <laughs> everything's a little interesting for him. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's so fun working with him and, um, having him write the forward to the book, uh, was really special and just really, really cool. I guess the last thing, Ben, is just encouragement to those whose lives you still pour into with young life, yeah, with an organization and the Seahawks that you still get to be a light in that building and with coach Carroll in a pretty unique relationship for a dozen years. Any last encouragement you would give to to those groups of people that you do get to still shine shine bright for? Yeah, well, when I was writing the book, they always say when you're writing to think of your audience, think of like one person that you're writing for. And um, I was writing for my Young Life guys. Just I wanted, I wanted a book like this when I was 17, 18 years old. And 
Uh, I've got one of them sitting with me right here today, Greg. And um, it's just, it was such a cool process for me to write directed at them. And um, it's really cool because it's reached, I hear from grandmas, I hear from little kids, I hear from middle-aged people, I mean, just all over the lot. But the cool thing about just this story and this, just what God has done over all these years is that he's truly doing things in our lives that we wouldn't believe even if we were told. And there's a verse from Habakkuk 1.5, it says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I'm doing something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. And that's kind of been my theme verse through all this process is that if you would have told me ahead of time, you're going to try out for the football team. You're going to make the football team. You're going to overcome injury. You're going to try to find your purpose. It's going to look like a failure. You're going to deal with the death of a teammate. You're going to find out four years later that all those things were for a beautiful purpose. And then all the things that have happened in the 12 years since just working for coach, I, I wouldn't have believed him. And that's, that's how good, that's how big our God is. And that even when we can't see it, even when we can't see the, the end results, that he is doing things in our days that we can't believe, even if we were told. Above and Beyond, the intersection of faith and sports. Subscribe to receive every episode at aboveandbeyondpodcast.com.